0: Fans, listeners, lovers of the Common Chaos Podcast, what is up? I am your host, Brian Kern. We are back for another episode. Before we get into it, I have to direct you guys over to the website, commonchaos.net. We've revamped it. It looks new. It looks fresh. It looks clean. Um, Got a couple extra pages on there. One of the pages that are going to be going up here in the next couple of days is going to be the one dedicated to this interview. Uh, This is one of two interviews I got to do today uh, with the mayoral candidates of Austin's 2018 race for mayor. Uh, I sat down with Alex Streger and Travis Duncan. This particular episode is with Mr. Travis Duncan. Um, we're going to get right into it. Uh, we talked his campaign policies, what he plans on changing if he is elected mayor of Austin. Uh, we also talked what his uh, fundamental beliefs are in his campaign policies and in his promises that he is making, why he is, um, you know, so why he has such a belief in his in his outlook and in his vision that he has for not only uh, the city of Austin but the uh, the country and the world. Um, and talking to someone who's you know he's 28, 29 years old, um, you know, young guy coming in with a a lot of ideas and a lot of knowledge and a lot of um a lot of plans. It seems um, on the surface, and I think that uh, one of the topics we touch on that's important is um you know paying attention being involved and and getting guys like like alex and travis uh out there because they're they're bringing to light a lot of issues uh that people are facing and a lot of issues that uh we as a not only a city here in austin but as a collective you know as as a society there's a lot of issues and um there's politically driven things at play that are 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 feeding into these issues and vice versa these issues are feeding into a lot of political issues and Travis sheds a lot of light on that and I had a great conversation with him I was I was really excited that he wanted to sit down and and talk and discuss his campaign and his ideas and I've been to one of his one of his events and I plan on going to another one before election day and I'm excited to kind of bring to people that aren't here in Austin Um, a a first-hand look at at what these two guys are bringing to the table and what they have to offer and what their ideas are and just for the sake of change, trying something different. Um, And getting people involved, that's the most important message I think of all. There's a lot of people out there that think that they're not going to get involved because it's not going to help anything or they're going to make their stand by not getting involved, and that's the exact opposite of of what you guys should be doing. So, again, I urge you, get involved. Go out, get engaged, vote. Vote on things that you want to change because that's the only way that they're going to change Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this show. You can check out Travis at uh, wearethemayor.com. He's not taking any type of campaign money, any type of donations, and he's ran his entire campaign thus far um, with a little over $1,000, I believe he says. He touches on it in this episode. So he's got a a crazy grassroots campaign going, and it's uh, really speaking volumes here, uh, and people are taking notice. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. CommonChaos.net, again, for all your needs. Once again, check out Travis at wearethemayor.com. Uh without any further ado. this is Travis Duncan. thank you guys.
1: I assure you that
0: Beans, man. We're good to go. Uh, this is the Common Chaos Podcast. I'm here with Travis Duncan, mayoral candidate for the 2018 Austin mayor race. Um, thank you for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Pleasure you. to have you in here, and I'm glad to start picking your brain and talking about some stuff. We've been in uh, communication over the last uh, couple weeks, and uh, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about Austin and your plans to kind of revamp the city. There's a lot of issues that I think a lot of people are very—it's uh, it's prevalent. You know, there's a lot of things that are are needing to be addressed, and uh, it seems to be pretty a pretty important race this 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 mayor mayor race, right? So, what do you feel is are the biggest issues facing Austin right now? What do you think are the biggest uh, biggest things that need to be addressed, and what is your campaign based on, and what are you looking to bring to the table, man?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, I really appreciate it, and. You know, just to answer that question right off the jump, I think the main issue that we face is this growing political apathy, this uh, this lack of engagement. You know, because people, most people, understand that the government really doesn't listen to them and doesn't actually weigh their feedback, even if they do give feedback, because Austin has. More of a history in ways of citizen engagement than other cities. Uh, But that just tells you how bad citizen engagement is across the entire country. Because even still, we have a situation where people don't feel listened to. And over time, that just festers. And then they stop engaging altogether. That's why we have hundreds of thousands of people who don't vote. uh, On top of the economic unavailability for voting and being engaged, you mm-hmm. know, most people are really just trying to pay the bills right. and, you know, who has time for for being engaged in political, you know, local policy, policy making, especially, it, you know, there's this uh, there's this thing that I've heard, which amazes me uh, as I go across uh, and, and as I've been campaigning and I'm interacting with people who work in the city, who work in government And there's a kind of a common general perception that citizen engagement is too messy. Like Mm -hmm. it, it takes too long. It's, it's, it's not worth it because the people don't know what they want. That's, that's kind of what they, what I've heard. I've literally heard people say that work in the government. They've said the people won't make the right decision and that. Is really on a on a philosophical level, just a core issue, is that there's a perception among the government that the people aren't competent enough to choose for themselves.
0: Are you familiar with Tulsi gubbard from Hawaii, the congresswoman from Hawaii? She said that. She said that. She said that on the Joe Rogan podcast. She said that there's a specific, a specific um, uh, amount of people that are elected to essentially make the decision for when the people make the wrong one is how she described it. And that's how she broke it down. And it's, I mean, to hear it broken down like that is very like, really there's, so there's people that are elected to make the right decision. Well, what's the right decision? What's, what is the people choosing the wrong decision look like? And is it tailored to any one specific outcome that certain people want?
1: Well, yeah, and the outcome is is key there. That's you know? crazy, right? And that's that's I think the issue really what we're dealing with is this this uh, awareness how representative, you know, constitutional republic democracy is kind of an antiquated model in a lot of ways. Okay. So I think there's there's something that can be thrown into there because if we, let's say we were to give entire control of all policymaking to the people immediately, mm-hmm. uh, in kind of an open source technology, some sort of a technology, right. And, and we had figured that part out. So the people are now able to make the decisions. I think the key th- thing that needs to be included in that is something that I'm referring to as full sovereignty consensus. So Full sovereignty consensus means basically when an entire group makes a consensus, a majority cannot violate the sovereignty of an individual. Right. And so there are certain things that even if a majority decides uh, the overarching principle, the natural law, the universal moral foundation or the ethical foundation of it. Right.
0: Can you give me an example of one of, of something like that?
1: Yeah. So let's say. You know, a overwhelming majority of people decide to uh, use a particular uh, method of creating plastics okay. that leaches toxins into the air, into the water, into the soil. Right. That's a violation of sovereignty because we on on multiple levels. Right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm of the belief that the earth has her own liberty. Right. That needs protection. Uh, and we are in violation of that with our industrial activities. But also uh, that would be a violation of future generations or, or just kind of that right to have clean access to the earth. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of a like one obvious example. But I think that the principle remains the same is that, you know, if it's not good for all, it's not good at all. And really the best way that that benefits all people is just respect for the individual freedoms. Uh, in a in a in a broader context, seeing the planet as having those same protections as well, and kind I think basic human rights type
0: of type of uh, mindset, right? Bas you know, you you bring up in uh, a speech that I heard of that we're the only species that pays to live on the planet, which
1: well, yeah, and we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, makes we'll,
0: sense. It kind of goes into the systems that we've created ourselves, but yeah, that is true. And why where's human right, the human, basic human rights come in, right? The right to have food, shelter.
1: Well yeah and and you know I think water. I think for for us it's it's the kind of thing where we saw our ancestors get bamboozled right. into you know being billed for electricity and paying for the water mm-hmm. and over generations it's we've just grown accustomed that's the way things are Right. Um I, I just want to d- button up that that one aspect of of citizen engagement and yeah. being engaged because I think we do need transitional steps. You know, it's not going to be an overnight flip where mm-hmm. we're giving the people all the power. Right. And that's why the first step of what we're doing is we want to do 100 days of town halls right after inauguration. 12-hour long town halls. It's kind of more of an open house. Anybody's welcome. We're going to do them all over the neighborhood, um, all over every neighborhood of the city, and then bring our policy people with us in those meetings take notes take Take, notes take action on
0: what the issues people are bringing to the attention not necessarily uh, a vested interest issue or an issue that's brought to light because of you know how it's going to be taken care of or paid for or who's going to get the investment where and what company is going to benefit from it, but rather what the real issues are from the people that you're actually hearing them from,
1: like the public. Exactly. What is the lived experience and how can that best inform our policymaking? So it's more of a direct people-generated policy, actually, and I think it would actually do a lot to restore trust in our governing system. To have a mayor that is actually going out every single day right after they're elected and listening to people and engaging with people who have never been listened to, who are tired of a buzzer at City Hall, who are tired of the time limit and are tired of nobody responding to them. Mm -hmm. Because when you go to City Hall now, when you do these citizen engagement things, it's very one sided and there's no reciprocation. You don't know if they're responding to you or even hearing you. You know they don't, even, they don't even say, yes, I hear you, I see you, I, I feel your pain, mm-hmm. and how can we do something about it right now? Right. And that's the, that's the main thing that the, the mayor can do is use the megaphone to accelerate solutions for people. So we might be in a town hall, and you have some solution that we don't need to make a law or pass an ordinance to fix. I could just make a phone call or I could get on Facebook live and I could say hey who can help you with this problem and thousands of people are tuning in and somebody's going to comment and say oh me I have right. this yeah. right so so or a collective of ideas anyway either or collaborations something that could anything it's yeah. really anything you right. know and and that's I think that that's the benefit of, of being so incredibly transparent where every working hour is live streamed everything is live streamed uh, there's there's no closed-door meetings ever. You bring
0: up fulfilling the duty of being a public servant, which I think is important, too, because essentially when being elected mayor, that's what you are, right? So you have right. to—Alex, uh, in his interview, referenced that everybody in the city is technically his boss, so he has to listen to them, right? That's the kind of role that you're fulfilling when you become mayor. so. You know, why is there the committees, the closed off committees, the the short structures to the way that debates are held or the way that uh, solutions are found? Why isn't there more transparency? And I think that that comes back to your citizen engagement. Uh, what I appreciate that, that you and Alex are doing in particular with, with this race is you're bringing to light a lot of issues that maybe people, like you say, don't have the time to address or maybe don't have the the means to address. Um, to deal with with their lives that they have to live and their you know money that they have to make and their maybe they don't have the most appropriate work life balance or balance in general to to pay attention to everything and you guys are uh, establishing yourselves as voices for maybe those people and people that aren't necessarily out there. Uh, And paying that much attention to really what's going on But you guys are bringing that attention to them And you're getting people involved Which I really appreciate And I think that that's something that Especially with the way the most recent national elections went Is very apparent There's not enough uh, involvement with people And to get them involved You want to present to them a solution That's not the same rigmarole that they're used to That's not the same maybe broken system That they're dealing with now there's in my opinion no better way than this like open transparency or maybe this evolution of how the system this political system is ran what hurdles do you see are in the way of changing that what hurdles do you see stopping a new way of like structuring a political hierarchy on the city level what's in the way of that and what's stopping this new system from taking over this old system
1: I would say the biggest obstacle from my perspective right now is going to be the business as usual type of crowd, uh, the status quo bubble, Mm -hmm. that social group, and then also that business group that is used to the mayor Listening to them solely and at staying the dinners, in their realm at the at gala, the at the ch- charity events and all these things, which, by the way, is there's still a, a duty for the mayor to fulfill those functions and meet with the chamber and meet with everybody. I'm really for all people. Mm-hmm. I think what people are going to have to get used to is that anytime anyone's meeting with me, it's going to be on live. It's going to be Facebook live or DTube Live or something right, that's right, you know right. decentralized that can't be censored or anything like that. We're going to put this information out there so that if uh, Texas Gas wants to sit down with us, they're on live stream. Everybody will know what everyone is saying to the mayor and what the mayor is saying back to them. And I think that level of transparency, I imagine that some folks are going to be uncomfortable with that. I think some people are going to bring up privacy concerns, but I frankly am not concerned about ego being hurt. I'm not concerned about somebody's uh, personal feelings about the matter. What is most important is service to the higher principle, which is that if you're an elected public servant, you need to be completely transparent. Everything I say and do as the mayor, people need to know. People t- people need to know it, and really integrity integrity is a huge deal and i can almost sum up integrity by saying that everything that you think you're willing to let everyone know you're you're willing to have all of your thoughts heard and still be uh, comfortable with yourself not mm-hmm. judge yourself mm-hmm. and still feel confident that you have a, a purpose and in place in, right. in our society, in our right. world. A value. And, 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 and if, we, if we start thinking about integrity on that level and think about, what if everyone could hear my thoughts? Mm. Wow, not just mm. everything I say behind closed doors, mm. but what if everybody could hear my thoughts? How, how would I change the way I think? How would I change the way I see myself in the world? And this really breaks down on a, on a really powerful quantum principle about the power of manifestation and the power of intention and lining your intention up with your words, with your actions, with your feelings. Because when we harmonize our heart, our brain, our gut, and we have that, that mind, body, spirit connection, magical things can happen. And just, just like thinking about somebody differently that, that might, make you angry, that cuts you off on the road or, or that like stomps on your foot accidentally Mm -hmm. or the thing, just thinking about them with a different perspective changes the whole dynamic of the whole interaction. For the lack of a better term, I'm going to say you're woke,
0: but I really don't have a better (laughs) term to use right now, but I love the word woke, so I'm going to use it. Um, and to me, your thoughts are very contrarian you're going against the grain you're very uh new age thinking uh i appreciate that i support that i support the uh better understanding of a human right the 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 treating everybody equally and i know it's hard to grasp especially with you know it's 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 different for us to talk about that living in america two white dudes in america you know austin texas beautiful city one of the best in the country. It's hard for us to talk about that and then expect people in different situations around the world to think about it the same way we do. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that there's a there's a commonality and yes, there should be a change in perspective just around the world, right? There needs to be a shift, whether it be a conscious shift or a shift in morality, ethics, whatever it may be, there needs to be a shift to take place, right? You're approaching this campaign with a very ethical foundation and a very moral foundation. And I want to get the substance behind that and why, why you believe in the things that you do, because I feel that that has a lot of the context to the character. Right. But if I'm being honest and we are talking real politics, it clashes with politics, your ethical and your moral foundation clashes with the business as usual politics that we are currently dealing with. What do you see are the quickest ways for your foundation and your structure to dismantle the business as usual and what are the um like what are the first necessary steps that you think need to happen in order for maybe your idea to flourish as opposed to the business as usual like would it be education that you would address first would it be maybe public policy and how that's addressed would it be healthcare systems like what what do you think is the best way to cascade your ethical beliefs and your moral beliefs? The, the people first, listening to the people, everybody having some sort of health care, some sort of income, some sort of equality that can be measured, right? Everybody has housing. Nobody's left homeless. Nobody's left in a rut. What do you think is the first steps that need to take place for us to start focusing on that in the political realm?
1: Yeah, like I said, I think shifting the conversation is going to be powerful, and those town halls, once they once they really build momentum, you know, once you're on day thirty, there's going to be a buzz around town, and people are going to start to realize. Do you have people
0: supporting those ideas, the town hall ideas?
1: Well, um, I do. I think people are receptive to that. I think they are like surprised it. to hear it. I think they, uh, I think the. People who work in City Hall and, and are on the city council now would probably tell you, well, that's not possible right? Uh, because you have to do this and this and this and this and this. And this. Well, I have that's other possibilities. That's business usual possible. Right. That's right. business as usual yeah. possibilities. That's, that's not- the thing is I, I can do a 12-hour town hall and then I can go work for another eight hours on other stuff. So th- another thing that I'm bringing is an intense energy because I'm driven by love for humanity because I'm driven by something that's not for myself enrichment right I'm driven by a purpose because I, I I do want to live on a planet where everybody is living their purpose and is living in abundance living and their truth. Sh- sh- yeah living their truth sharing in the abundance of the planet and y- you know you brought up how uh, Austin, is, you know, it's not a universal experience what we experience in Austin on other places of the planet. Right. And this is, a, a, again, an even stronger case for why we need to liberate ourselves from this economic imprisonment. Set an example. We need to set an example and we need to free up our time and energy and space to become solution generators for the world's challenges. We have massive challenges on the on the planet. We have ocean acidification. We're depopulating mass amounts of species. We we're poisoning the the soils so much so that we could eliminate our ability to to grow certain types of foods. We are dealing with a climate shift, a climate change, and there's we have to figure out decarbonizing the atmosphere and all I these things. I like how you
0: acknowledge the cycles that it goes through, though. Like, and that's what I appreciate about both you and Alex is you you guys. I think tend to um, you you you're coming at this from a unique standpoint where you're not having the political backing, you're not having the the power players in your corners, the the crazy funding, very grassroots, very independent. and you but you guys are coming with these these ideas and these facts and these plans that seem so reasonable and so attainable that the obstructions that are in their way are like nonsensical like why why do we have these issues why are these issues in the way and why isn't the conversation of just a better quality of life for here as the standard just so it can be cascaded to other parts of the country and then other parts of the world why are those obstacles just so difficult to overcome well Alex's answer was corruption if I, and I don't want to necessarily go down a conspiracy theorist route, but I, I compare government at all levels, city or national, to a fraternity like a business. You know, there's somebody that's fit for the role. There's their close group of friends that are going to benefit from the position shifts and the changes and, you know, who's going to be invested in the person and their campaign and who's going to have the vested interest in the company that supports them. And there's fraternities at play and there is there is a corruption to a degree, right? We don't necessarily have to go down that route, but there is the corruption the corruption aspect. What would it take to dissipate that, and then the other obstructions that are in the way as well, whether it be uh, having a public format to come up with ideas or solutions?
1: So I, I think actually a common person can recognize how how the corrupt, I mean government it's a, is. It's prevalent. It, it's, mean, it's so corrupt. It's just so corrupt. I don't want obvious. that to be our
0: only objection that we have, you know, because right. when people only talk about the corruption, oh, well, they're being one-sided. There's multiple obstructions. Corruption's one of them. Yeah, I mean, in corruption Mismanagement is... Mismanagement of the, of the, you know, whatever. Mismanagement of the city, whether it due to corruption or just a negligence on the person's behalf. What is it?
1: Yeah, the corruption is, is a, a broad term uh, that actually all of this political system is rooted in the same uh, fundamental problem, which is the banking. The central banking entities have uh, decided that they have the unilateral right to print money and distribute money and determine the value of currency. And then those banks are directly seeded into the governments and then the industries that are responsible for procuring the resources for people to consume. So we have, we have handed over vital aspects of our economic system. And e- economy is bigger than just money. So it's, kind of, it's everything. To kind of sum that up, too, in, a,
0: in a, like a, a layman's term, I guess, is we were talking about the basic human freedoms earlier, right? Resources, food, shelter, well-being, health, right? It seems like we've almost given the banks the availability to kind of then take part in all of those things. They are the ones that give the loans out to the resource companies that are providing the resources, the companies that are providing the shelter, the companies that are providing the health care, all this, it's all in the hands of a centralized system, right? What yeah, you're they, saying, give, what you're saying.
1: they give basically 0% loans to these massive multinational corporations who then just shore up all their power, and then they pay off the politicians who allow policies for them to just swoop in with no accountability, and then grab everything, and then sell it back to us at high interest rates. Right. So, you know, I mean, we, we could do a whole podcast on. That. Right, right, right. The, and that's where I'm the trying to stay system. away from. Right. So, so actually the solution. And this is where I, I think I'm very different in the sense that I've never heard anyone say this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think the solution is cooperation. So instead of posturing ourselves against this like a revolutionary perspective, one. right, right. Right. There's the, the, the 1%, mm-hmm. right? The 1%ers, you know, this kind of nefarious entity, this they right. that we all talk about. And we actually touched on this the other night yeah. at, at that uh, forum, which was interesting. So the way is when we understand the quantum principles, mm-hmm. and if 99% of the population is holding in their hearts and their feelings fear, resentment, anger, violent thoughts toward this 1%, which there's not even a face on most most of the time, then that is going to create an energetic situation where those 1%ers are going to feel attacked and they're going to want to attack back. They're going to want to set up systems to shore up their power and to protect themselves and protect what they believe that they need. And so... That is an interesting perspective, Look so at it when probably, we, but it makes sense. When we come at them with forgiveness and love and moving on and, and just saying, you know what? We have compassion for you. We, we're not holding the past or the present against you. We are here in love. That completely changes the energetic situation. And imagine if the 99% of the world felt forgiveness for the 1% instead of resentment how much that would change things. And then when we start from that place, we say, look, you're not attached to the modality of your wealth. You're attached to the wealth. So you can keep your castles, you can keep your yachts and all of your fancy things that you think you need. Uh, And what we are going to do is we are going to have the right to be free on this planet and you have the the option to invest in our regenerative type of systems. And we can apply that. I mean, that's a planet-wide thing, but we can apply that locally right here. So let's say you have a, a real estate developer, mm-hmm. which people have the same posture to. They're like, screw the real estate especially developers. out here. especially out here. Right. the the common person knows that the real estate developer is what's causing the affordability crisis, right? A, That's a
0: fact a fact that was given uh, in the most recent episode I just did, the one just a second ago with Alex was, that a large portion of the committee that is tied into Adler is a lot of real estate and land developers right now.
1: Well, and I want to fact check all that stuff. I mean, I've, I've heard people say that they're personally profiting off of all the home building companies and they have personal investment stakes in these companies and urban sprawl and lack of a land development code is actually yet. benefiting them financially. However, just to be fair, I don't have the facts on that. I don't see the sheets. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it because of their history uh, and because of their their outcomes. Uh, the actions that they take can really only mean one thing, is that somebody's benefiting by them doing nothing, right? Somebody is winning and making lots of money while they twiddle their thumbs and say we're going to do another two weeks of this and another two years of community this and we're going to pretend like we're listening to the community. We're going to pretend like we're actually doing something when actually nothing's being done. What we could do right now with the land development code day one is we could mandate that all new construction be entirely earth resonant and when i say earth resonant i mean environmentally smart basically right. it's net zero uh, it's carbon sequestering biofield here. optimizing rainwater capturing smart water recycling green space incorporating so that when you build something you're addressing affordability at the root cause because you're eliminating the need for utility costs you're not exacerbating the demand on the electrical grid you're fortifying us to be more resilient in terms of a natural disaster because when that comes through we, we don't lose power, we don't lose our water, we don't lose our food. We're, we're localizing our, our, our food, our water, our electricity, our vital services, so that we are more resilient. And getting back to the climate change issue, because we are in a climate cycle, and we are causing pollution on this planet, and there is also a natural Cycle of climate and and shifting of the dynamic on this planet So we have to understand that actually when you look at the ice cores when you look at the history uh, The seafloor and all and when they study the history of this planet. It's been four times as warm It is right, right now yeah. during human. It was called the medieval it's warming. Cyclical, period. It's cyclical but but the thing is w- when you look at the carbon dioxide the carbon dioxide actually triggers a cooling effect so we're pumping all this carbon dioxide more than we've ever done in our known history into the atmosphere, we could actually be triggering a cooling effect. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because we need to understand resiliency in a broader sense, that we need to be resilient for whatever comes our way. So, so, lo- so building in, a, in the smart way, so localizing our, our food supply as much as we can, uh fortifying our electrical grid against electromagnetic interference using the faraday blankets or the cages or the quantum mechanic technology that's immune to the emp uh whatever it is there's ways that we can do that
0: i don't want to ask this question in a sense that i'm trying to be a joke or anything like that but are you
1: a fan of psychedelics psychedelics are so important they're so important so you
0: are on another level clearly in your in your compassion for the human element absolutely nature
1: and i think i think it's important for for us to to acknowledge this the psychedelic aspect of it it as as underneath the umbrella of plant medicine
0: oh i i feel that there's a an innate connection there that that it almost is sick, not sickening to talk, but I almost don't like talking about it because people don't take that conversation seriously when it needs to be. There's a a connection with plant medicine and even the word plant medicine is woo woo. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to say that you're working with a lot of woo woo, but a lot of your foundation and a lot of your support is coming from a very holistic, natural place that people are afraid to talk about. Not, resistant to talk about afraid to talk about because it, it 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 sparks anger with a conversation about drugs or free will or uh you know you can even go down the pharmaceutical route in in using plants for medicine why aren't we using mdma psilocybin lsd to to treat you know mental issues disabilities ptsd there's trials that are going on but to to speak of that as a norm in itself is kind of like oh well we're not there yet so to base the progression of society off of a, a an idea or not an idea but a feeling you have because you're so comfortable with plant medicine I think is a, is a hurdle in itself what do you think can break that down and maybe make the idea of plant medicine or alternative medicine in general more appealing And why do you think that that link to this conscious freedom or this conscious shift is so important to have?
1: Well, first I just want to declare that we are going to legalize cannabis, mushrooms, ayahuasca, iboga, anything that's a natural plant, we're going to lift the illegal, unconstitutional prohibition on. And I think the way to do that is there's precedent in the Ninth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, Okay. which is rights unenumerated. It essentially states that the people will have rights that they need to express, and they will only know that they need to express them when they need to express them, and Access to plant medicine is a key foundation. So any law that bans a human's sovereign right to use plants is is a unconstitutional law, let alone against natural law. So again, anyone who is hearing this and thinks that that's crazy, ask yourself the question: Why do you think it's crazy for a human to use a plant? Yeah. And then and then when you really sit with that question and be honest with yourself, there's no way that you can come to the conclusion that it's wrong. And maybe you've just never tried it. And that's this is this is why
0: that's a systematic thing that only a human could come up with to put some sort of rule or law against a plant.
1: Yeah, uh, something that's
0: just as natural as you. You're you're part of nature just as much as a plant is. You're uh, a reaction of cells working and dividing and having their process that they go through just as much as a plant is. Yet yeah, you can't eat that, right? Yeah, or you can't do certain things with that. Look, look that at that comes down to like a moral. But I mean, that's what sucks. I think about our line of thinking, maybe, or or just the the idea of that future is there's no like moral blueprints to follow. Does that make sense? There's no like like the 10 commandments, right? Or the, the we have the bill of rights. We have there's laws in place to kind of govern people, but governing humans on a completely even playing field, there's no like rule book for that, right? So we allow ourselves to come up with laws and weird put things in place. The whole prohibition against hemp was one of the biggest uh I mean, I don't know what you would is. call that is one of the biggest corrupt Maneuvers and probably the history of lawmaking Or, or you know it, It's Again where do we start having those conversations Because that's not coming up in political debates That's not coming up in town hall meetings That's not coming up in now state of the unions To a small degree But I mean you have what nine states Allow legal marijuana right I think it's 40 plus states have it for medical use But the recreational use Is only at a nine state level And you're barely getting states on board With like mushrooms and MDMA and they're still being met with resistance. And I know that there's a lot of organizations like MAPS and other things that are working with government governmenting bodies to, 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 to make that more accessible. But it's still a very fringe topic.
1: It is a fringe topic. That's why what we do in Austin is so important, because we're going to set the precedent legally so that uh, the entire country can, can have their rights back. And, you know, there, there's going to be a cultural adjustment period. There's going to be a time when we figure out what's the best way to do this. You know, not everybody is like there shouldn't be ayahuasca bars. Right, right, right. You know, it, it's, it's we're going to have certain norms associated with this Policies so that spiritual guides can. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, even, even transcending a law or a policy, I think it's more just that this is the way you do this. You know, this is the way you, you work with this. And yeah, MAPS is great. Uh, they're going to be coming into Austin actually a mm-hmm. little bit after the mm-hmm. election to do an event. Mm-hmm. These type of organizations are crucial and so es- essential. And I think as people like you know, Joe Rogan and locally Aubrey Marcus and people like this that are successful business types start talking about their experiences with plant medicine, and how it has shaped them in such positive ways, and then you have Michael Pollan who just wrote his book about it. I mean, it's becoming into the mainstream. And I mean,
0: microdosing has been a thing since the '80s. Like that's blown up, especially in like tech companies and 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 especially programmers, digital artists. Like it's almost an apparent leveling up. It's a mushroom in Mario, right? You hit the fucking. And it's a mushroom. That's what you're getting. You're leveling up. You're getting like some sort of uh, enhancement that you would get out of if you were to take a pharmaceutical drug and an adderall you know and that these comparisons and these conversations are had all the time so not to regurgitate them but it does seem is that these types of conversations need to be at the forefront of topics now because in order for us to experience the level of freedom that that, that a lot of these people have in their in their mind's eye right down the road the future of people being equal and humanity being on one plane I believe is only gonna come when this conscious shift happens with everybody.
1: Well, and that's that's why uh, there's no centralized mandates to force anybody to do anything right. in this transition. That's why what what our platform is proposing is building a parallel system of freedom, so that the people who already are ready, who already do believe in themselves, and are connected with the earth on a deeper level, they can come out and start working on the cooperative organic farms and building the eco-villages for the homeless, and you know working on these vital community projects in exchange for free electricity just for three hours a week volunteering on the project. And so you're going to get thousands of people working and setting the example. And over time, more people are going to start participating, being engaged and seeing. This is the thing is most people have to see it to believe it. Whereas I think people who have done the inner work and done the spiritual work and challenged their conditioning and the lies that they were told as children and that they believed through their own, you know, volition that, uh, that these people are, 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 th- those folks have to, um, but be- what am I saying? Th- they, they have to believe it to see it. Right. They right? have to they, experience they be- it. They believe it. And then they first see hand it, right? Or
0: yeah closely related in order to either get triggered to want to experience it or maybe want to dabble in that lifestyle what have you
1: yeah and that's the thing is when you see your neighbor who is going to a community farm every week and just they're just working three hours and they start to come back with food and you're like hey what are you what are you doing what have you been doing over over at the farm oh I'm volunteering three hours a week I get free food from the farm and I get free electricity at my house yeah, you should try it. It's really simple. It's part of our community engagement okay, how process. How are you
0: going to afford the Lexus, Travis? How are you going to afford the BMW that sits in your driveway Actually, that everybody you, looks at? You can afford it more
1: because when you're getting free electricity at your house, that's less cost that you're spending each month. So you can afford to spend that extra couple hundred dollars. The average electric bill in this city is a $100 a month. And I can tell you, it's because the way we build, first of all, because the walls are paper thin, because they are designing this system to increase energy demand. Mm-hmm. So, every it's a whole system approach. You know, everything is interconnected.
0: You answered a question the other night at your uh, at your your uh, gathering that you had at the uh, Magic Caravan, and it was an awesome event. Thank you for the invite. Oh, thank you. Um, you had a good turnout and you I like that you're the the message of transparency flows through you, especially with you allowing people to get up on the stage at the end, ask their questions, give their opinions, their ideas, ask you guys tough questions. Um somebody earlier in the night brought uh, had asked you, and I overheard you answer, it and I kind of want to hear it again, just to so I can understand it better. But I also believe that you you explained the idea very well, just as if you did a second ago with the parallel systems, uh, the homeless situation. You were talking about incentivizing people to build ho- uh, either homeless shelters or some sort of area where it, for housing, uh, and in turn they would be incentivized to work. Can you explain that a little bit and what your ideas for that are? Because the homeless, and I had a list of issues that are plaguing Austin right now, and I was going to cover that with you. I mean, homelessness, traffic, overdevelopment, they're all up there. They're all big issues. They all have solutions that can be had. So with that in particular, what are your plans there?
1: Yeah, so homelessness is a kind of a fundamental uh, indicator of the lack of compassion we have in our society. So we have to acknowledge first that it's our responsibility collectively. And that if one of us are on the streets, we're all on the streets. That's that's the uh, position I'm per- approaching this from. Okay. That, you know, we are all interconnected in our experience, and we show our values by the the least among us. Those who have the least, those who are the, the, the weakest. Uh, how we treat those people. So... Solving homelessness, I think, is actually very simple at the root cause. We have land all across the city, uh, all around the city, uh, where we can build what I would like to call eco-villages just for this purpose, where it's essentially new housing developments, single-family home developments, where there's a build-to-own sweat equity model, so... If you are homeless or if you're not homeless, uh, you can come volunteer your time to help build all the different little houses that are going to be, again, earth resonant, no utility bills, completely self-sustaining, resilient houses built with earth materials they can still look as beautiful in fact they're actually more beautiful than I the house. materials have now.
0: like wood and metals <laughs>
1: and well, things like that right I or mean yeah you, I mean you like, can use that yeah but also you can, you can use you know lime and like rammed earth you right, know right, and, right. and you can do the earth ship model there's there's plenty of models I'm a I,
0: I'm, I, I enjoy tiny houses tiny house hunter whatever that is minimalism is yeah a very, so so you you, know, you
1: might this, this is the great part about this is there's no cookie cutter you coo- might want a little no small House, yep. and some some eco villages will be used for different purposes. So one of them is going to need to be a healing village for people who really need intense cleansing of the gut, getting the parasites out of the body, purging all of those toxins, then getting clean, way, rehabilitating, and then using the plant medicines with the spiritual guides and those things. Once they're ready to move on to what I would call like the able-bodied single-person village. That's one where if you're just kind of a, a, a single person, you've been out on your own, you're you're just're you're, you're, you're cooperative, you can function in the community. And then there's another one for like families with children. You right?
0: essentially so- uh, you're essentially not fantasizing, but you're illustriously like building up the halfway house kind of. you're're you're, you're having the source where they can cleanse rehabilitate and then enter into society transitionally not necessarily just thrown out they're expected to get a job maybe thrown out and expected to get be able to rent a place only after that's not being homeless for like a month right like that's, you can't just go that's into the modern key. society
1: well, i don't want to get people back in the rat race right. i want to liberate people from the rat race and give them the opportunity to build it and work for it in cooperation with normal citizens in austin that are in exchange for volunteering, getting three hours a week, you know three hours a week volunteering, getting free electricity at their house, mm-hmm. so you'll you'll be able to mobilize a force of people who will come out because they're financially incentivized to come help build these houses for the homeless. They're each custom designed to that person's need, and we're gonna build one for you, and then 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 you. And then you. If we just have a thousand people working a w- every week on this project, and it's just the weekends, we could have 250 people working every hour. 250 people cooperating, building earth homes. You can get so many homes built in a short period of time. And that way, the people who are uh, homeless are now homeowners. So we're going ho- from homeless to homeowner through this build-to-own, sweat-equity, eco-village, sovereign model. and. It's totally customized, and I think the only requirement for getting to live there for a lifelong lease is just you just volunteer three hours a week again to help build new houses and to help in the community garden, to help around the community, to maintain everything and keep it up, so that we're we're incentivizing cooperation rather than individualized burdens. And this is the problem right now is that. In the homeless population, the burdens are individualized, which forces them to not cooperate.
0: Repeat that. We're, We're not what? We're individualizing burdens?
1: Right. So we're incentivizing cooperation rather than incentivizing, individualizing your burden. So the way it is now, a lot of the homeless people I talk to have to be on their own in order to survive. They have to look out for themselves and themselves only. And this ties directly back to the lies that children are still being taught in Austin schools today, which is Darwinism. Darwinism has been debunked by his own words. Survival of the fittest is not actually the highest form of a species thriving. Cooperation is always the highest form. And... Actually, Darwin drastically, and, and mainly the, the people after him uh, and institutionally around him, grossly misinterpreted what he was ob- observing. They didn't understand the aspects of epigenetics and quantum physics. Think...
0: So... I think that the Darwinism is the the survival of the fittest in
1: the sense of the
0: we're willingness to adapt
1: okay and that's true okay so the right? ad- ad- adaptability is different so this is the thing is that is that the, the institution we're just
0: unique in the sense that in order for humans to adapt we need to cooperate because we're of individual mind and body separate right like a uh uh let's take the the finch that he you know the finch that darwin's famous for right there's not it evolved but the other birds weren't out to get that bird. All the birds evolved because genetically they had to evolve, right? Humans can be a little bit different. You get the ego and the 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 combative. So we have to cooperate in order to adapt, in order to.
1: Well, and this this is the thing about about evolution, which is a whole nother topic as as well. Is that you know if we if we really look at at the the science, it's pointing more to the fact that many of these species that we think evolved over this kind of slow, gradual path were actually originally formed in the way that they were formed and they've always been formed that way and it's actually, it brings up really deep questions when you look at the, the most modern science looking at this. And I'm not the expert on this, but I just, I read these articles, I pay to mm-hmm. I read these journals, these peer-reviewed science. This is not something on some random website. This is peer-reviewed science okay. published in journals and books and everything. This is a whole other conversation. But I think what's, what's relevant to, to our society is that We've been sold this Darwinian way of interacting with each other and the world because there's a, a ranking in your class. There's the top ranked person in the class. Oh, that's the top ranked person. There's there the pyramid system is designed so that even if everybody works equally as hard, there will still be so you losers. Got one person on the top, right, and then the group, right, right. And that is based on the survival of the fittest mentality, and when you apply that, and you look at the homeless situation, mm-hmm. you have people who have to pack their own bag, who have to get, go out on their own just to survive, because if they're in a group, they're seen as more threatening, they're seen as less employable maybe, they're seen as maybe criminalized. You know. And this is the thing is that we've, we've grown accustomed to making so many assumptions about these people before we even know who they are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some, some homeless people have said the most profound, deep, and insightful things to me than anyone else because they have nothing to lose. They're going to tell you the truth. They're just going to let it all out there. Be because, the most transparent, perhaps. Well, yeah, because what other choice do they have? They're, they're at their wits end. And this is why I always remind people when we're talking about homelessness to look at Dr. Emoto and his experiment with rice. And just to sum it up really quickly, he took three bowls of rice, isolated all three of them. He said, I love you to one. He said, I hate you to one. And then he ignored the other one. The one he said, I love you to, did not spoil. It stayed Actually, perfectly nutritious and and fine. For when he long? said, "I hate you too," I don't know. You, you have to look at the exact time frame. But it, but it was it was. I've with, heard of this. I thought this was with a
0: plant though. And one he of the did it with plants grew, as well. Grew really well. The other one didn't grow at all. And then the other one like was a fucking just fucked up plant from the beginning,
1: right? right? Kind of if, if you you're... if you look at the rice that that was ignored, it mutated. It turned into something completely different. And this is what's happening. We don't know what we're doing to the the physiology of the person when we ignore them and again this is why everybody needs to look at um bruce lipton the biology of belief such an important book there's a lot about this epigenetics is is an emerging and very exciting field so any young people out there who are listening to this Uh, or old people, doesn't matter, anybody who's wanting to expand their education and learn something more and change their own life and how they see themselves and and how they can interact with the world in a more effective way, look up epigenetics, look up quantum physics, actually go on Gaia.com, G-A-I-A.com, and watch some of these documentaries. This is the most cutting-edge science. And going back to to what you what you referred to earlier uh, about woo woo, is that typically people when they hear something that sounds uh, different than what they've learned and what they've grown to accept as truth, they automatically think it's woo woo. They right. think it's crazy, right. and we have to look back in human history. This is this is a trend. Yeah. Every time there's there's new information that's brought forth that challenges the scientific norm, there's resistance to that, mm-hmm. um, and there's, we can go philosophically as to why, but that's just the truth.
0: Gravity is a big one. Gravity was always taught to be, uh, historically, it's taught to have been different things. And it's just been uh, the way that we've tweaked the experiments to test gravity that we
1: figured out, hey, it's actually these properties instead of this. And that's. And people are now challenging gravity. People are talking about electromagnetism and things. And, and you know, it's, it. there's people now saying that gravity is not real, it's more electromagnetism. I'm not saying that that's what I think. I'm just saying that there's there's people that are challenging these really fundamental things that we view as laws.
0: They're, they're that's true, but I have to I have to doing the podcast and my belief of the podcast is you're you know the only way I'm a firm believer in progress and growth and I've been on a journey of of, of self-progression for a while and there's there's a profound impact when you maybe want to believe something right
1: mm, Yeah. and then
0: you realize man the facts just don't add up the facts just don't necessarily right. come across as clean as i want them to be maybe i am this confirmation bias that i've been hearing about maybe i do that from time to time just as everybody else does you know and i feel when you're when you plan on challenging things like that, when you plan on challenging things that are so fundamental in progression, especially when you want to do a parallel system, you want to do a system where people maybe don't want to live the lavish lifestyle, can still thrive, and everybody benefits, and people that do want to live the lavish lifestyle still thrive and benefit, there's going to come a time where one of them might develop a belief or a foundation or a moral ethic that, conflicts with the other one
1: well right and and let me let me just
0: are they parallel then
1: yeah let me me just
0: and how do you balance that
1: well let me just be clear i'm not challenging gravity right right what i'm what i'm saying is that is that is that when people come forth and challenge gravity things like gravity right things like these fundamental belief systems Mm -hmm. we need to listen and and we need to not shun them and say that they're crazy for researching things
0: i agree there and the only re- and i wasn't implying that you 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 don't believe in gravity or we're challenging right, right, it yeah. but to for the sake of your campaign you associate with a lot of people that maybe do question gravity right i mean and i'm not i'm not trying to imply that you do but the holistic again the holistic lifestyle is one that comes with a lot of preconceived notions oh they don't believe in gravity the earth's flat things like that right being able to have an effective plan to balance that along with the lifestyle that other people are familiar with living is going to be difficult. Managing that's going to be tough. What happens when you get conflicting fundamental beliefs? When you get the conflicting, hey, we're going to build the eco-village and we're going to uh, volunteer a bunch of people to do this, but then what happens when the skyscraper building people are going to pay the people more that are incentivizing the eco-villages, then they move to building the skyscrapers and nobody's paying attention to the eco-village anymore? Well, that, you, or yeah. eco-village. I didn't mean to say ego-village. Eco-village. How do you ego plan village. to maintain... I mean, it's yeah. the ego village versus the eco-village if you yeah. want. Yeah, let's call it that. Ego versus yeah. eco, right? How do you plan to balance that? When the the ego starts recognizing that the eco people will work real hard for their free electricity, maybe they'll work even harder for uh, $10 electricity but more a month. And then all of a sudden you don't have the people paying attention to the ecosystem anymore because, again, the... F- Found the fundamental belief in the beginning, maybe the community and to thrive, but then when they start saying, "Well, my fundamental belief is me having generational wealth. I'm gonna go work for this company and make some figures so my kids have something."
1: Yeah, they can do that. That's the thing is that balancing the, that though. How do you plan on balancing that? Well, the the cooperative mentality again. If it isn't good for all, it's no good at all. Mm-hmm. And you know that is not meant to be interpreted as a socialist mandate because I'm not a socialist, right. I'm not a communist, I don't believe in centralized control. Right. However, there are certain things that I think we need to assert. One of those in reference to land development is that it is not a single entity or a developer, so to speak. It is not their right to unilaterally determine how land is developed, especially when that land is geologically and culturally assigned for mass populations. So when you have somebody who just buys some uh, buys land downtown for the highest price, mm-hmm. the highest bidder, and then they're like, well, I'm going to build this. And then they just decide that they build that they're completely violating the, the, agreement that we have decided we're all going to live together in this place. This this land is geologically assigned for the maximum vitality of all human beings over many generations in Austin because we know with climate volatility, we don't know what's going to happen with the coastlines. Right. I mean, I'm hopeful. Uh, there's there's debate about that, but Austin could become a place of refuge for millions of people in, in I mean, the they, next 200 years. They, I
0: think... Uh, I think they predicted that we were going uh, like to see like nine to fifteen percent increase in population well, just due to the hurricanes last year. Yeah. And well, people coming up here from Houston exactly. and from the, the exactly. coast and from Corpus and the Valley and all that just coming uh-huh. up here. I mean,
1: Austin might be a coastal city if you look at some been, accounts.
0: Marble Falls right now is getting ridiculously just terrorized by floodwater, and they're well, losing bridges.
1: Yeah, and that—that's the thing too is that it actually. The entire city of Austin, most of it, is built in a floodplain, because when we dam up the rivers, we totally throw off the the uh, balance of water flow. And the way I've heard some people describe it is that we clog the veins of the earth, and we already see the negative ecological impacts of that. Some could even argue that the reason why the Bastrop fires were so bad is because the land was so dry yeah, yeah. because it had not been saturated in years and in, in decades so well, you guys had a hor- I
0: mean I say you guys we here in Austin had a horrible drought like 2011 2010 uh-huh. time uh, California just went through the same thing that's where I'm from and it's you know w- California is known for wildfires and for so
1: don't vote for Alex because he's going to deport you I just <laughs> just want to let you know he will deport you. He has. He has declared.
0: <laughs> I and honestly, I'm. I, I. I'm getting caught up in the, uh, in the event of all this, And the uh, the, the attention you guys are bringing. I think is very important. And if there's any city that's gonna uh, support this type of movement and this type of uh, uh, thing, I'll call it this political landscape, this event that's going on in terms of um, getting. Outside thinking, getting real people to run for a very big position, especially here in Austin. Yeah, well,
1: Austin, Austin has a history of of welcoming uh, in, ex, eccentric characters running for office, and what what I've heard about the history is that um, while while most people don't take kind of the joke campaign seriously. They still recognize that those people were humans and had a contribution to make to the conversation. Yeah. So, for example, like, you know, uh, who's going to vote to deport the Californians and give flamethrowers to the police and put a dome around the city? However, he is still making valid points about calling out corruption in the city. And it's actually helping people to uh, realize that the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. It's reaching more people
0: that's been my that's been my uh if i am on a pedestal shouting anything about you guys that's what i'm trying to accommodate and i don't the voting thing i didn't even think about that the fact that i've got you guys here interviewing you guys just met in the hallway um i saw the i saw a little bit of the video the debate you guys had the pedicab thing that's what's important to me man you guys are are willing to go out there and and shed light on an authentic idea and authentic Compassion. You, you you say compassion a lot and I really think that that's something that you have because to sit here and put not only your personal things aside and your personal beliefs, not beliefs, but your own, I guess, well-being aside, right? And to sit here and say that you're going to represent the people, we are the mayor, that's your campaign, the people are the mayor, right? Because once you're elected, you're going to have these town halls. You're going to listen to the people. The people are really going to be given back their power to decide what the city does, how it does it, and why they're doing it. Yeah, That is something that... If anything right now needs to be broadcasted, needs to be put out there, because it's that type of thinking that I think are going to get people susceptible to those conversations. Because without that type of thinking, you're going to get the one or two candidates that are willing to be outside the box, that are willing to be unique, and you're going to get that immediate resistance from the general population. But when you have... Like instead of having two, have a hundred people like that, right? Instead of having two unique outsiders running for mayor, have a unique outsider, a unique perspective running for every major city's mayor, and then are these collective ideas actually cooperative? And if they are, why not branch those together? Why not build off of a, an example and 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 widen that? that spectrum of what you can accomplish, especially when you have multiple cities doing it.
1: So you're describing our master plan.
0: And see, that's what's, and it's it's not even necessarily like a, you would think of it as a master plan. Yeah, like you want to go that route. You want to go in the one for all route, right? All for one, one for all. Everybody thrives. Everybody's growing. Uh, you change a system in one area and it has a positive effect on all these other systems and all these other areas. It's just the silencing of that the 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 people not willing to pay attention not willing to get out there and speak on these things is what's causing this discord and what's causing this this resistance against that once you have people that are willing to sit down and listen to you and listen to your ideas and listen to alex yeah he talks about building a dome and yeah he talks about deporting californians but his real things that he wants to attend to is affordability for people that are in situations that they can't afford the cost of living they can't afford to transport themselves across the city because it's too crowded they're forced into these jobs that are uh, feeding the issues here in Austin, right? They're, they're forced to have to, uh, agree to the building of a soccer stadium because it's going to bring a ton of wealth and a ton of money and different economic, uh, possibilities to Austin. Yet we have three major festivals every year that do that. You know, we have a bunch of companies that have just come to the city that are supposed to be, uh, providing wealth and opportunity. Yet the same issues persist. The same issues are there. The only way that I can see to dismantle these issues is to change the business as usual model, and that's what you guys are bringing, and, and it's that's important, I think. And I it it's refreshing knowing that there's that type of attitude and that type of response out there, but at the same time, it's like, I, what do you need to get done in order for your plans to take action? Like, if if you were given the resources that Mayor Adler has, I'm sure a lot of your ideas could get done. That's
1: a great point. I I just want to touch on that because. Uh, Adler has seven hundred thousand dollars in their campaign chest. With seven hundred thousand dollars, they could have bought a combined forty acres of land around the city that would have already been there to seed the solution to ending homelessness at the root cause. So, this is another thing: is they spend billions of dollars on elections every cycle, for what? For what? We could be solving the problems with that money instead of wasting it on these stupid ads where they're being fake and pretending like everything's okay and pretending like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be in a competition of who can pr- say the most progressive rhetoric. And it's like, look, this is not a contest of your ego. This is about getting shit done. And they don't do anything. they if We've spent less than $1,000 on this campaign or around $1,000. And... The fact that we've been able to penetrate the conversation as much as we have and to get as much attention and to be on most of the forums and most of the debates,
0: which I think is nonsense. Alex brought that up. The fact that he was kept out of a forum. The one that he had the video of, where he went in and they kicked him out. But the fact that that happens, the fact that not everybody's ideas are allowed. We to were both is kicked ridiculous. out. That
1: was that was the Austin Young Chamber. Yes,
0: you you did a video as well, where you were walking up the street and you were like super heated. That's right. Well, I think it's I've... funny
1: because I I was I w- I told Alex I was like let's go in there together, and uh, then I had to work and I couldn't. I I was like late and I was like I need to go. I need to go. Yeah. And so I showed up right when it ended, uh, and. Then also there was a United Way forum where I was originally invited and then uninvited by – and what they said is that uh, somebody at the top told us to do this and it's out of our hands. That sounds super shady. Like what are they doing? And in, 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 by the way, this debate was called Finding Lasting Solutions to Poverty. Our whole platform is about overcoming poverty altogether. Did eliminating you, poverty like at the root.
0: Did you read the uh, the gentrification report, the study that came out from UT about the gentrification and the recommendations that have been proposed and then turned down and how they're not solving the issue, yet the resources are there, the ideas are there, the plans are there. But yeah. for whatever reason, the powers that be are not solving the gentrification issue. And in fact, a lot of the housing development plans and a lot of the codes that they have are just going to increase pricing, increase yep. uh, affordability, things yep. like that.
1: And this is why you don't listen to the rhetoric. Look at the outcomes. This, uh, th- this is the the main point about Austin politics, is that we're so gullible because somebody says something that is like a progressive talking point, and then nobody pays attention to the outcomes. The people who are politically engaged in... in by the way, something you know under 80,000 people decided who is on the city council right now.
0: Is that Are you referring to how many people actually came out and voted? Actually
1: voted in the runoff elections.
0: Did you know that in all the schools in the Austin Independent School District there's 83,000 students? So the same amount of students as there are in the elementary, middle school, and high schools here in Austin or is the amount of people that voted?
1: Yeah, less than than one-tenth. Less than 10% of the people of this city decided who's on the city council. And most of the voters are older, rich, white, neoliberals who are clinging on to a lie that the Democratic Party is somehow a compassionate, loving entity that's out for the best interests of humanity. When in reality, we are polluting more than we ever have been. We're ec- economically excluding more people. This is the thing is, is like Alex and myself and you know, all these people are examples of people who are young people living in Austin who are dealing with the economic exclusion aspects of, of things. things. And, and and this is the thing. Some people will say who who have made their money and are real successful to say, well, that's your fault. You need to work harder, blah blah blah. Well, okay that, you know, everybody's personally responsible, right? You, you can manipulate the system and you can game your way into wealth, but that still doesn't change the underlying reality that most people are struggling. Most people are suffering.
0: And that's something that's echoed so often is the, oh, well, young candidates aren't successful in the, in the political realm of things because they're inexperienced or they don't have the experience that a lot of these older politicians have with policy making policy changing what it really means to get out there and change these types of things they're almost making us have these experiences you're almost and when you when you say that you're almost saying well you're not worthy of running right now because you're young, but once you experience all the things that we've experienced, then you you're you're free to have a
1: say. Yeah, why, once you're jaded and brainwashed.
0: Why do why do you have to go through the those experiences in order to have a say? Why can't you just change the system now so the experiences change over the long term? Why is it that you're forced to almost have those experiences and go through the rigmarole of being a career politician, which a lot of politicians are? They get in it in their early twenties, they have very little to no success until they're older and then when when they do start getting older, it's or when they do start having success, it's because they're established. They probably have a fraternity within the city. They probably the people that have been helping them throughout the years are probably the ones that are, uh, you know, that are um, benefiting the most. That are paying into the campaigns, what have you. You're almost forced to go into that system of of career politician in order to have any type of say. Where do they expect the change to happen? Where do they expect the change to happen? Unless it comes from the young politicians that are out here dealing with the issues firsthand i mean alex is a pedicab driver you're out here single-handedly funding your campaign just off the support from the people that you're talking to but you're at every single debate you're you're out here doing your own personal uh meet and greets you're you're getting your message out there as much as you can and you're still being met with resistance you're still being kicked out of out of uh debates and not being allowed to go to certain discussions because what how do they expect you to get the experience it makes it's a it's contradictory to what will in my opinion, enact the change that needs to happen, forcing yeah. people to go through this.
1: Yeah, it's it's bringing up so many things for me because it reminds me of how we illegitimize children's perspectives and I think that's really at the core of this issue. We don't allow children the right to vote. We have this Whoa. culture <laughs> in our society. No, but listen, okay. serious. Right. we have this culture right. in our society because we say that this is how we're raising our children. We're saying that you're not good enough, you don't know better, and when you're 18, then you'll be an adult, and then you'll get to make your own decisions, and you'll be your own autonomous human being. So by the time they turn 18, they don't even know who they are, they're not confident in themselves because they haven't been given the authority of being a full, sovereign human being. All right, there's a difference between uh, healthy boundaries and protecting and raising children um, in a way uh, that is protective, Versus, in a way that is actually inhibiting their own self thought processes, you have more mental illness, more uh, lack of confidence, more social awkwardness in younger people right now because of the way the school systems have been set up, and that manifests again in the same uh, context in politics and everything because it's saying that you aren't, you aren't, your ideas aren't valid because you're young and this is the thing if if all of us if all the candidates were 29 and it was a blind contest so you didn't see what they looked like you only heard the words and the platform there'd be no question that we would be leading by miles because people see who i am they judge me based on my appearance or my age or my Gender or race yeah, or whatever it in. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then and then they think that they know everything about me, and they they close themselves off and they don't listen, and this is a big problem, is because what I hope that the people of Austin don't do is make a decision out of fear, Judgments, and then yeah. look back and then say we should have voted for that guy. Because the, the, the point is That we, we have to make these changes We can't afford another four years Of this horrible land development policy That's just extractive And exacerbating all of our problems We, we just can't afford it it's, it's, Otherwise we're going to just have More of a mess to clean up later I asked this um,
0: But I do want to go back to the children becoming uh, Sovereign or having like sovereign rights Because I think that that's uh, fundam- Fundamentally there's something there but, but I'll go back to that
1: can Flesher? we pause? Can I go yeah. to the bathroom? You're good. No, no, no. You're okay. good. You're good. You're
0: yeah. Good. Take I, it. I'll fill in with something. You're good. Okay. Or
1: you just pause
0: it or... Okay. Uh, I don't do edits, but you're good. It's, okay, fine. it's fine. Yeah, we're good. Right, People not getting used to the show. I love it. Um, all right. I'm going to take this time to have everybody just listen to me rant about some things. Uh, commonchaos.net for all your needs, of course, as always. Uh, I'm going to have a page completely dedicated to this whole uh, Austin mayoral election um because it's 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 deep the Austin election has been one that is very there's a lot of attention on it also on a national level just because of where Austin fits in the US it's one of the 15 largest cities uh population wise and growth wise we're getting major major tech companies bio industrial companies there's a lot of attention on this election uh because of what's coming to Austin and and just how how fast it's growing and to be involved with hearing these guys out and, and interviewing them and, and talking to them it's it's eye opening it's uh it's eye opening it's informative and it's really getting me just excited about about people <laughs> and their ideas and and if there's anything that interviewing Alex and Travis has done for me it's just made me want to do this more and uh, pick people's brains more and hear their ideas because I think they're both very smart, intellectual guys. Uh, they both love what they do and and are doing it for the right reasons. I think so. We're gonna continue. I was just plugging the page that I'm gonna it. do. Um. And again, also moving forward, man. Anything you have going on, I'm gonna share. I'm gonna blast out too just so you know, um, because I support. Uh, going to the the what did we leave off on? Not the children being sovereign, but the man, it was not dealing with another four years. Same old nonsense. Anyways, uh, going back to the children being, being sovereign. Um, elaborate that on a little bit, a little bit more, because I think a lot of the, a lot of the issues we see in, 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 in young kids and the youth i think have to deal with their environment mm-hmm. not necessarily um the and, and i i'm 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 going with science that i know on this and it's the the whole formation of the brain right and being your brain really firing on all cylinders um it doesn't necessarily happen until you're like early 20s right males 25 females 23 around that area uh so is it the children not having the rights that's giving them their these issues that they that they have the youth having these uh personality disorders mental disorders anxiety awkwardness uh bullying is a is a huge thing suicide rates are off the charts right now are these issues just because we're not allowing them to be sovereign and in and, and, and have free will when they're 15 16 Or is it because of their environments that they're in and how they're being educated? And the reason I bring that up is there's several politicians around the u.s. Right now that are taking a, a Stab at education when I say stab they're poking at it because they feel it's flawed One of them's Larry sharp from New York. Are you familiar with him by chance? So He thinks that a lot of issues uh, in New York can be solved with restructuring the education system and putting his little spin on it. I won't go into too many details, but he's essentially calling for like, hey, K to, uh, you know, eighth, ninth grade, be the norm. And then you have like two, three solid years of like high school. And then instead of having such an emphasis on going to a university – Maybe tweaking the education system so there's more focus on trade schools, vocational, uh, occupational schools, but also um, like life development, being ready to manage your taxes, finances, h- housing loans, auto loans, managing your credit, actual feasible, usable qualities and and, and attributes uh, to being like a functioning human, uh, changing education in that way and setting people up for success for the real world rather than setting them up for success in an educational or business world, either or. It's kind of you're limited now is what he's saying as you leave uh, your educational years. You're limited in what your future is because you're told to go either route A or route B rather than having several options and all the options being uh, you're able to flourish from, right? So where do you think the education system needs to be tweaked at? And if, if, if you were given... The uh, the power to do so here in Austin. What what do you think you would change? Again, I, I gave the statistic earlier: eighty three thousand students in the school district as of two thousand seventeen. A hundred and thirty schools in Austin Independent School District. So just a little bit of stats for you. But what would you change? Do you think?
1: Yeah, and we have uh, more than just AISD in Austin city limits. Uh, and we you know we have to recognize yeah the mayor is not responsible for that or doesn't necessarily have the authority to do that. Um, although. Uh, I would I would say, again, going back to this concept you completely of
0: completely separated as mayor. There's no you're not. Well,
1: there's coordination, there's right. communication, you know, and that's that's where going beyond policymaking and beyond the the traditional roles right. is really an opportunity for us is is how can we you know, there's nothing preventing me from making phone calls and having meetings with people and mm-hmm. encouraging certain things. Um, and this is where I would, I would step in and say that the state is actually interfering with our right to educate full human beings because they have such an in- institutionalized method and because they mandate control over it. Uh, I actually say that it's our constitutional right to determine how the money that we spend on our taxes goes to schools, how it's spent what it's spent on uh, and what we how we structure our curriculum so you you brought up the curriculum i think th- that's a huge piece of it you know the first seven years of life should be all about earth connection and learning how to play and have fun and be emotional intelligence and spending a lot of time outdoors and in nature creativity and creativity on, on the
0: ages of three and nine you're you know your brain is of developmental uptake especially with creativity especially with relating
1: with people and socializing and making socializing friends. that's yeah. when you
0: make friends as a kid that's when you realize how to make friends laughter yeah. excitement you know playfulness it all comes out when you're really young. And
1: like you said, the, the more we're learning about the brain and development and everything like that, and the whole body and the heart and everything like that, we don't need young kids in classrooms. They do not need to be in classrooms. Then when you get to that kind of like 7 to 14 age range, um, I think between 7 and 12 you can accomplish everything uh, that that we currently accomplish in twelve years of schooling. You can accomplish all of that within a, a two or three year block, which is the the rigorous academics, the the, the, the general f- physics and science and math and and history and civics and writing and languages and all these things right. can be really. Uh, accomplished in just a couple of years, and learning how to do things like standardized testing—that stuff can be valuable. Those skills can be valuable, uh, but I would just say being more rigorous, and then and then I'll just cl- close real quick because I know you want to jump in. Um, is then by the time they're getting to their teenage years, and we do know that that um, women a lot of times develop quicker than men. So, it, it, but it's all it's all individualized. There's right, no right. there's no one size fits all. Right. So. By the time a child has developed to the point where they. Hold on a sec. No, do what you gotta do, man. Um, By the time a child is developed to the point where they uh, are. where they're ready. Where they where they know that they are have interests in things, they're skilled, they know the fundamentals, they know the rigors of academics, then they go into the vocational training, then they go into that kind of apprentice relationship. And I think the education system should be structured where they can bounce around from different things. Right. So if they're really focused on, you know, physics and then they they go to the physics lab and apprentice at a lab and realize they don't like that, they can switch. They can move to something else. That teenage years is supposed to be flexible and fluid and experimental. And that's where there's a distinction between are they fully developed into kind of the person they, they will become and be? Uh, not Maybe not necessarily. However, do they have the consciousness to be able to make a decision about what type of policies and what type of people should be elected into office? I think so. I think they have incredible discernment. I think when you ask a seven-year-old, do you trust that person? They'll tell you exactly how they feel. They won't be inhibited. Uh, they won't be mired down by being jaded by this economic enslavement that most people experience that causes so much environmental stress. Where they, you know, the same arguments about children making poor decisions can be directly applied to the adults making poor voting decisions because. Adults are basically just traumatized children that have, that have that have normalized themselves into that trauma, right? And so we have to talk about the childhood conditioning at, as it relates to the type of decisions we make. We are we kind of have a Stockholm syndrome when it comes to the type of people we vote for. We're we're a voting for people who abuse us, and then we we defend them <laughs> when people like criti- the criticize those choices.
0: You can take the phone call too, brother. Don't feel hesitant to do to well, not
1: i'm just i'm recording this video and i, oh, yeah, I, I don't want it to be interrupted um so okay the all
0: right taking back a couple steps um without destructuring the the deconstructing the school the education system too much um the remark about the seven-year-olds not needing to be in classrooms I think there's a there's a a fundamental learning that has to take place between like five and eight four and eight you know writing language uh specifically those art art maybe being able to express yourself because as you're eight and nine you wanna you know you're you're familiar with school that's where I think the real creativity and that enjoyment and the playfulness comes out right. I don't necessarily think that it's necessary for seven- or eight-year-olds to want to vote or to know policy.
1: Okay, so so maybe we start with age 12. You know, maybe we start with age 15.
0: Or or, what I'm more in the lines of thinking, and I, this is just coming out of I just got out of a childhood development class um, in getting my degree right now in communications. So uh, going through that process, um, I had to write basically a report on, on a uh, childhood development center, right? And what I think is important is we mentioned earlier uh, about the inattention to policies and public relations in terms of government and running the city, right? We also see that disconnect with families. We also see that disconnect with uh, how children are raised. And we, we brought that up earlier is is what children are being fed, right? What kind of ideas and how are they being taught in school? Is it uh, only the strong survive, only the smartest make it, the standardized test? I mean, and there's even flaws within the standardized testing system that Larry Sharp, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, he points yeah. out. He doesn't believe in standardized testing there's the whole Harvard controversy right now with them uh, testing Asian students a little bit differently and they tested everybody else and the curve and how that's incorrect and they're going under that. I'm pretty sure there's a lawsuit involved. Mm -hmm. So would you, and you you even brought up the mayor not necessarily having a direct impact on the education and how how that plays out. What would you do to strengthen the... um, I don't want to say grooming, but the the tailoring of our children's education and how they do learn and develop outside of school because there's there's a case for that. I mean, there's YMCAs, there's there's Boys and Girls Clubs, there's different after-school programs that kids can attend, but are they getting the best care there? Are they continuing their education there? Or are they just being watched after until their parents get off work and they can go home? Are they really continuing their education? Are they continuing their grooming, again, for the lack of a better term? Are they continuing their knowledge, grow- their growth, their progression in these after-school programs? And... If you're not able to directly affect the school districts and the school and the education programming there, how do you plan on doing so city-wise? Because that if you're planning on having this eco-driven system in the city, you can start with the kids in an eco-driven maybe community center, after school program where they're, you know, they're taught in fun, creative ways, maybe classrooms, experiments, things like that to challenge thought, to, you know, uh, challenge the norm. Go do simple science experiments that teach you about gravity, that teach you about, you know, motion and friction and things like that. And and have a hands-on, allow yourself to be creative. And if you do have questions, if you do maybe not trust something, be able to express that openly and have the resources so you can you can better educate yourself on those things. I think that's important for kids. Is there, is there a plan in place that you have for, for that? In terms of, of maybe continuing that education, or maybe putting a different educational system in place to complement school, the schooling as it is now, since you can't have a direct impact on that.
1: Well, we can definitely have an impact on the conversation in in cooperating with AISD and the other school districts and uh, ACC and looking at lifelong learning and these things. And there's really there's really no one particular answer to this. I think that the most important Um, uh, principle to be applied is don't be rigid and be fluid, be adaptable. Uh, Understand that each child is an opportunity to reflect as a society and learn something new. That's the reason why we procreate. That's the reason why we don't live forever. We We recycle ourselves on this planet. We incarnate here to forget to remember. So it's a cycle of, of constantly reflecting and learning new things. And so uh, there there will be a million ideas. There will be as many ideas as there are individual people. There will be as many curriculums as there are people. And so there's so many education experts that are out in our city that are just ready, just clamoring for an opportunity to do what needs to be done, and they're, they're being shackled by the institutions. So... The best thing that I can do as mayor is assert our municipal sovereignty to bring in these more holistic, uh, actually more practical methods of education uh, so that the state can't interfere with us. Again, I have a lot of fantastical ideas. I have a lot of vision into the future. But the most important thing that I can do as mayor across the board is set the fundamentals in place so that when I am done in that role, that people are better suited to make strong decisions for themselves. And so... I don't want to mandate what anybody should ever do. And it's important to recognize that the parent is always the best educator of the child. And when we need to set up a foundational system where parents have economic availability to be with their children more often, which they want to. But then also something you touched on earlier, nutrition. What are the children being fed? This is the core issue. What are the parents being fed? I was at a, I was at a, a state An event where uh, I think it was a Texas Tribune event where they were talking about uh, nutritional uh, uh, nutrition and educational outcomes and uh, what is it economic? Excuse me, educational performance basically in the Mm -hmm. schools. And at the event, they were serving uh, processed, uh, salty, uh, basically plastic plasticized meats with uh, like. Uh, bleached breads with GMO chips and soda and the cognitive dissonance is so real because when they're eating that stuff it's actually numbing their ability to be a high consciousness thinker and so the first thing we need to do is ban the environmental toxins that are poisoning our mind and our gut and clogging up our veins and things and this this gets into really Iffy territory. Because when you start to talk about government overreach and these things, I mean, and it opens I, up all these questions. I, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, and this, this is why it's, it, uh, I'm what a I'm little doing... bit conflicted on a, from a principled level. But I just want to say, banning the environmental toxins is actually a public safety measure. So there, there's a place in Oregon, uh, Grants Pass, Oregon, I think, um, or maybe it's Idaho, I can't remember. But they're a non-GMO, completely organic town. Nobody can use Roundup on the soils. They've seen health impacts go up tremendously. In In certain European countries, they ban GMOs because it saves them money on healthcare. So we need to look at the neurological impacts of lack of hydration, of neurotoxins and heavy metals in the water, of uh, th- what the soil uh, pesticides and all these things are doing uh, to, to our environmental health, what the air conditioning units are doing to our environmental health.
0: Alex pointed out that there was like led in i want to say eight or nine reported schools and they're all in like low income areas low poverty areas
1: um poverty yeah. areas well they're all over the city um i don't know if they're um necessarily i mean there's poverty in every neighborhood of the city right, right. um and uh t- you know just by the metric standards uh but um actually one of the schools i think was the one right next to our where i live we're in southwest austin um, so yeah, they found lead in the waters, uh, and it actually had to do with the filters that were on site at the school. They got them changed. Apparently they tested it's parts per million fine and all these things, but, but even then, but even the, then. the
0: regulation and the standard of parts per million, who's to say that's healthy. And I, right. I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to sidebar a bunch of stuff, parking lot, a bunch of com- uh, topics that you're bringing up and comments that you're bringing up because, um, I, I want you back on the podcast uh, from more of uh, less politically driven. Mm. Uh, if possible, obviously, if you get the if you get the mayor spot, you're gonna be busy for the next couple of years. Uh, but anyhow, I, I want you back on because you touch on so many different things that I think uh, fundamentally need to be touched on and asked and addressed because it seems that that's the route that we're gonna eventually go down. and if these issues aren't addressed now, Uh, the people that are in political power that aren't addressing them aren't going to be ready for when it's too late.
1: That's the thing. We need resiliency and we need to do the, the basics right. Right. We need to get back to the water, the food, the energy, the housing, the transportation, telecommunications, education, these really fundamental things. We need to do them the right way and build the automated, sustainable, and resilient systems and the incentivized cooperative network that helps maintain these systems so that we can eliminate the cost of those things and become more resilient. So really, this this kind of gets to our fundamental theory is that Over the course of ten years, when as we're working together and incentivizing building this framework, we can we can establish a system where we're eliminating cost of living so that we can be a city of one million entrepreneurs and artists and scholars and inventors. So instead of people being imprisoned by the wage clock, because we know with technology now, Amazon has already proven you don't need people checking you out at a grocery store. You don't need people cleaning, cleaning the streets. There's robots that can do these things and liberate us. And it's either gonna be done in one way or another. It's gonna be done over commodified, or it's gonna be done in an equitable, cooperative ownership model so that we liberate ourselves and shift capitalism and meritocracy and currency into the realms of innovation and creativity and artistry and these type of things. So um, again, just uh, to, to kind of circle back um, the most important thing you, you said, you're going to be busy for a couple years. And it reminded me to, to let people know that if I'm the mayor in 2022, you will see a very different election process. So every time that I'm in front of a voter as a, as the mayor also running for reelection every other candidate for mayor is going to be right there with me and get given an equal speaking time in front of those voters because what I want is people better than me to be running I want I want to lift up the voices that were previously shut out because politics is corrupt and you have to have money and you have to have all these connections I want the best people to serve. I want the best people to not be afraid to stand up and run because right now that's what we're experiencing. There's incredible people out there right. that would be, that would be amazing policymakers and servants and listeners and all these things that don't run for office because they're scared of being assassinated for telling the truth. They're scared of being authentic, uh, be just through to all those, those societal judgmental factors. But then they also don't have, don't have the money. They're lost and in the noise. They're right lost now, it's pay to noise. play. Yeah. It's totally pay to play. Yeah. And Adler's doing the best he can to buy the election. So is Laura. They're trying to buy the election, and that's a, an objective fact. The two horse race that I put up yesterday is that nobody. It's insane. I,
0: mean, I told. I told personally. I think you're 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 right up there with them. I think if there's any other candidate besides the two that are being.
1: Uh, Put into the limelight, it's you. Well, I've been told we're polling third. Yeah, we're I polling mean, third, and and the people that are at, everyone at that party, no, you can't poll those people. Everyone who's working on our campaign has never voted in their life and now they're excited to vote for the first time for this specific election. There's people that I talk to every single day that I meet that are like, I didn't, pl- I wasn't planning on voting and now I met you, I'm planning on voting. These are people that aren't pollable.
0: So the first thing that I told Alex, man, is that if there's anything, there's two or three main points you guys are making collectively, even though it's not intended to be that way. The attention to to politics and how important uh you know coming across doing the research for this and, and getting some of this facts and statistics that I did I came across several groups that originate from UT that are revolutionarily driven they're you know don't vote voting is just playing into the system that's broken uh you know instead of vo- voting fight back you know riot protest whatever it may be and it's It's disheartening because it's not. That's not how you get things done. And you're 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 just you're feeding the ones that know how the system works, just reason to keep the system how it is now. Yeah. By not participating and by not getting involved and by not educating yourselves. And we talk about being distracted. We talked about. I wanted to touch on this real quick. We only have a couple more minutes. Are you 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 speak a lot on the um, on the education and the uh, the the universal. Do you know who Andrew Wang is? Are you familiar with him running for president in 2020? As mm-hmm. uh, a businessman from New York. Okay, so he's running... He, he's hoping to be the Democratic pick for 2020. Uh, he's a businessman from New York. He's a His big uh, bridge that he's riding on right now is universal basic income. And he believes that automation and the future of technology in the business world is going to lead to us being able to uh, sustain a universal basic income of 1200 bucks a month for every U.S. citizen. Uh, and it would be... Accommodated by obviously deals worked out between the government companies, uh, restructuring a little bit of how corporations are, are are established and the rights that they have, but he has a pretty solid plan in place. So if you get the chance, I recommend looking into him because he's that's his that's his backbone for the 2020 election is universal basic income and how he believes automation and and integration of Amazon and bigger companies, yeah. basically given back to. Uh, a a system that's gonna allow for everybody to to basically benefit from. So so
1: just jumping in real quick there, Um, I don't know Andrew, I I don't know anything about him, uh, so there's not a critique on him. Universal basic income is a trap. It's a central banking control. It's gonna make us more dependent on centralized systems and less resilient as people. And we need to be resilient right now, we need to be self-sufficient, self-sustainable the 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 goal is universal basic resources so we eliminate the cost of things using automation rather than subsidizing through taxation and redistribution which is basically us just taking on more debt from the from the central banks so universal basic income i think is well intentioned although it's not thinking long term it's not resilient and it's inherently unsustainable
0: now Speaking to that, there's been several um, there's been several cities uh, in different countries in the world that have uh, implemented some sort of universal basic income model to kind of replicate. And they've all seen pretty staggering success. With universal basic income, at least in, in Andrew Wang's terms, it's, it's in place to promote individuality, if you do want to be an entrepreneur, and, and you mentioned why not have a city of a million entrepreneurs, well, it seems to me the most effective way to do so would be to financially liberate people. Universal basic income does seem to be that, that route. Temporarily. Temporarily, but that's also, I mean, there's, again, there's not a one-size-fits-all method to universal basic income yet, and I don't necessarily ne- think that there's not a good model or a model that you can you know, promote the things you're trying to promote as well, resilience, self-sufficiency, I think that there's probably a model that can, that can uh, benefit that as well. There, was, there is
1: there is unity there. There is potential for collaboration there. But the, <laughs> the other thing to recognize about it is, is its uh, corporate welfare, because it's going it's going from the banks to the people, then paying for the utility bills, paying for the rent, paying for those basic things. So we're basically just subsidizing the things that that are that are are the root cause of the inequities in our society in the first place. Okay. And and we have to recognize that if there's economic collapse and we're dependent on that model, and that goes away. The whole social fabric falls
0: apart. So I think a little bit of the of the universal basic income long term goal is to eventually initiate change in systems that do have us dependent on on financial institutions, whether it be banks. Uh, there's also a plan to incorporate cryptocurrency with that because he's a big proponent of cryptocurrency and and the route that that's going. Uh, and again, I'm not a I'm, I don't fully know his plan or all the details to it, but I I do believe that. The, the the liberation of people starts with financial freedom or the yeah. changing of the of the fi- of the that. of the workforce structure because eighty yeah. hour work weeks I mean we can go we can have an old episode on that. It's I think there's something that we have there. So I'll parking lot that we're coming up on our time, man. And I, if there's one final uh like hoorah you wanna you wanna push out there or one final thing to really grab people and really get them behind you and what you're trying to do. Yeah, I, w- I want you to do that now, but I also want to thank you for coming on and for taking the time to do this. And I believe that uh, your, your message of transparency and your message of, of progress and what it takes to get us all to that next level is you're on that path, man. You're, you're, you're there. You have the right ideas, and I, I, I support those. And I think that you're going about it the right way. And your your again your transparency message is huge a lot of people are afraid you coming in here and immediately turning the phone on and having this whole thing recorded is is not something a lot of people are willing to do and I think that you're you're seeing success in that and it's something that, that I appreciate a lot and I, I hope you continued success and Thank I think you. you're doing an awesome job man I think you're really you're really bringing attention to a lot of issues and your ideas are sound logical um, you know i want to touch on you on a couple of them because i think you're you you promote collaborate uh, collaboration and, and and cooperating with one another i think there's a lot of ideas that are people look at them as bad ideas now that can maybe even be a little tweaked just a little to make them good ideas and i think that the important message is, is that conversation about finding a solution to things right and 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 you're really doing that and i appreciate that man so appreciate it. Thank yeah you. if you have anything else
1: Yeah, I would just say that voting for me is a better protest vote than not voting at all.
0: I agree with that. And, and anybody that's not interested in voting, you're never going to change anything. And I think that your message and Alex's message too, because again, that was one of his main points is that he's getting people that wouldn't have voted otherwise. He's getting people that wouldn't have been paying attention otherwise. And because he's out there at the pedicab spot, out there in the streets with all the traffic, he's getting people to pay attention because you're doing these pop-ups and you're doing these meet and greets and you're going out there and pointing to these, these issues. You're getting people to now pay attention and want to go out and be involved. Well, these political important.
1: elites would never go and do a debate at the at the drunk party at the thing and and you know what they they frown upon that kind of behavior but you're listening to real issues you're listening to party. real people and yes. real and real things and real stuff comes up and this is the, this is the main thing is that you know you may disagree with what i have said on this podcast you may listen to something i said on the website and say oh that's wrong and i welcome that and that's, that's the thing yeah. I think that is, is unique about not our candidacy. No, I'm listening to everybody. If you're saying something that I might tend to disagree with, I want to listen deeper. Yeah. I want to listen longer. You I want to know what you know that I don't know. Yes. And yep. that's the thing is, is I'm never going to be a mayor who shuts you out because I think I disagree with you. I'm not going to assume things. You know, I really do my best to live in the Toltec way. You know, the four agreements, you know, don't make assumptions, don't take it personally, right? These things are so crucial as a public servant. And what I see right now in the political system is that they think they know everything. They think that they have some sort of a moral high ground or they think they're better than somebody else. And that's really dangerous because then you start not – I've talked to people who have lived here for – 50 years and they said you know what we had all these great ideas 50 years ago and we kept voting for it and we never got it so our platform is really what austin has always voted to become and never actually become because we vote these incompetent people who don't know how to listen and don't know how to be open-minded and compassionate and they're so easily influenced when somebody waves a a bag of bills in front of their face they get a
0: checkbook speaks a lot man. oh
1: my god it's dangerous and and we we you know uh we the earth is going to be fine like we but we need to we if we, if humans want to be a part of this equation and i do want human consciousness to continue i want a free oh. planet of love and abundance so we can go out into the universe and explore that we're bottom feeders on a
0: host man we're bottom feeders on a host right now and hey. that's that's
1: <laughs> it's you know, but we do have a very special place on this planet. We do have a special role. And I think if we look back at some of the cultures, it is possible to be harmonious. So if anything, what I'm saying is it's possible to be harmonious with the planet, to be ecologically sound, to cooperate with each other, and to find systems that work. And it starts with recognizing that fundamental intrinsic value that every single person has as a human being.
0: That comes with that with that ego death that I don't think that, that I death, think a lot yeah. of people are afraid to experience that I think you're you're already aware of. And so that's why it's not even Yeah. It's awesome, man. I appreciate you again. We're doing we're gonna do this again, man. Whenever yeah, you wanna you, come in and start speaking your message, you're yeah. more than welcome to and I encourage it and I want you back on. So and good luck and everything yeah thank you appreciate you man where can they uh where can they donate where can they uh so we're
1: not taking any fundraising not uh, intentionally um not a patreon
0: go fund me nothing you're not doing anything no we're
1: not we're not hustling people for their money we just want take support that. take Share. that
0: motherfuckers you got somebody out here causing yeah. some ripples that's not taking a dime
1: Yeah, we we don't want to, and and I'm not wealthy either, so it's not that I'm just self-funding. We're self-funding, but we've spent less than $1,000. It's about the message. It's about the grassroots. It's about people. Money does nothing. People do everything, so share the message, tweet it, like it, Facebook it, all that stuff. It, It goes tremendously well to get that organic reach out there and then also just reach out to us our website is wearethemayor.com wearethemayor.com we the the I'm
0: going to blast it out share it with everything we do again brother Appreciate thank you it. again hey, thank you Brian uh, Common Cast Podcast signing out love you guys